Welcome to the Global Venturing Review. My name's James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing, and Global Impact Venturing publications. And it's a great pleasure to be back here once again with Thierry Hellis. Welcome, Thierry. How are you? I am very warm today. <laughs> How are you, Chip? Not too bad. It's probably not as warm as Death Valley was, I think, which hit 130 degrees a couple of days ago. But... Uh, it's definitely warmer than the usual temperate climbs that we live in, isn't it, area over here in the UK? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Death Valley, I, I think my body would give up on me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there is a, it was a well-named place, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but apart from the, the news on the weather, what, uh, what else has been a big news uh, the past week that you've come across? Well, we have our old friends at SoftBank Vision Fund 2, which supplied $1.7 billion in funding for South Korea-based travel and accommodation services provider Yanolja. It was valued at $1 billion in a $180 million Series D round in mid-2019, backed by Booking Holdings and GIC. And before that, it received $53.2 million from Skylake Investment two years earlier and $8.5 million from Partners Investment in 2015. Yeah, I mean, it's a big round, isn't it? But I think uh, as people look ahead to the reopening, just like over the past year, anything connected to grocery delivery services and other sort of ways to connect people, um, I think as society start to re-emerge, then you know, I think it will be in a slightly different form than it has historically, which puts a lot more focus on the sort of travel and accommodation, the sort of Airbnbs, slightly different ways of flying, slightly less impact on hotels and uh, different optionality. So, you know, obviously SoftBank has seen the opportunity here with, you know, G, uh, that they saw with uh, Coupang, this sort of e-commerce company a few years ago, um, and they've really had some success in South Korea. But fascinating round, and uh, hopefully it's uh, a positive signal that uh, even with the Delta variant of COVID, that things are opening up. Certainly the sort of level of demand and engagement we've had for the GCV events in the fall or in the autumn starting with the GCVI Summit in September and then rolling through into the sort of symposium in November uh, in London, uh, which will be the 10th anniversary. It's been off the charts high. So uh, so we're super excited to do it in a socially responsible and uh, socially distanced way. But yeah, I think it uh, could be that SoftBank's timing is yet again uh, pretty good in this regard. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone is desperate. I am certainly desperate to get back out there. I'm, I'm done just being stuck in my house. <laughs> Although it is very nice stuff at flat in the house there. Well, yes, that's that's very true. And I'm, I'm very lucky in that I have a garden as well, so I can spend time in, outside while everything was locked down. So, yeah, I can't complain too much. Mm, but there's definitely too much of a good thing. Yeah, there definitely is. Well, speaking of SoftBank, though, SoftBank also plans to invest an additional $5 billion in Latin America. The corporate, of course, formed a $5 billion vehicle targeting the region in early 2019. And the prospective funding, which would double the allocation to $10 billion, may be used to either create a new SoftBank Latin America fund or just expand the size of the first one. SoftBank also intends to expand the range of Latin America-based companies it targets to include seed and Series A stage startups, as well as publicly listed ones. Chief Operating Officer Marcelo Clore, who launched the first fund, of course, will continue to lead the Latin America-based operations. Wow, it's certainly some commitment doubling down in terms of sort of the quantity of 
capital being allocated to Latin America, and it's made a huge amount of difference. I, I think um, we've been running the Global Corporate Venture in conference, the Corporate Venture in Brazil conference series with the government down in Brazil uh, through Apex. Brazil for the past five years, obviously last year, held up through COVID and we're looking to restart the partnership again for this October around the 17th. And, you know, it's been phenomenal. I mean, there was a lot of sort of interest and activity, but it was hard to get some real capital to some of the great entrepreneurs down, not just in Brazil, but in Latin America uh, as well. And, you know, but the sort of the the amount of funding and sort of also the co-investors that the SoftBank commitment has made is, uh, has really put it on the map, as it were, in terms of financing. And yeah, some of the sort of big portfolio companies really expanded, doing very well. And Obviously, COVID has in some ways helped some of those companies as well in the entrepreneurial ecosystem around fintech and e-commerce as well as more broadly on tech. You know, it's been fantastic and it's been almost quite exciting to see it from the sort of the ground up uh, in terms of, you know, having started Corporate Venture in Brazil back in, I think, 2015 or so, if memory serves. You know, it's been a rocket ship in that regard. So um, so it feels like it's a well-timed decision by SoftBank again to double down on something which was a, an enormous unprecedented commitment for the region when it did it in 2019. And uh, two years on, um, looking to put more to work, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly fantastic to see. Well, we've got more news from SoftBank. That seems to be a theme today, as it is a lot of weeks. Um, 197 Communications, which is of course the India-based owner of payments platform Paytm, and backed by SoftBank as well as Alibaba and financial ant MediaTek, files to go public on the Securities and Exchange Board of India. The company intends to raise up to $2.2 billion in an IPO that would entail it issuing $1.1 billion in new shares, while its existing shareholders would divest the same amount. Those selling shareholders in the IPO would include founder and CEO Vijay Shekhar Sharma, Alibaba and Ant Group, Elevation Capital, SAIF Partners India and Berkshire Hathaway, which is not one that we come across that much on GCV really, I don't think. No, definitely. It's, uh, I mean, Vijay you know, done a fantastic job. We were delighted to hear some of the insights from him a few years ago when, you know, when he was developing out Paytim as a sort of concept and it's done phenomenally well um, and no surprise I think it's been one of the interesting sort of companies because in some ways it's been that sort of uh, cutting edge piece between how some of the Chinese corporates which had been a few years ahead in terms of the development of the ecosystem were looking at India as the next place to go and so Tencent, Alibaba um, sort of and financial you know really sort of made heavy moves into it um, and then obviously the Indian government a few, you know, last year basically clamped down um, from a security point of view on some of those co-investments. And we've seen less money going in from the Chinese corporates into Indian startups since. But, but obviously, you know, with 197 being able to IPO, you know, it becomes potentially a sort of a reason to encourage exits from some of those Chinese shareholders potentially. You know, and create a sort of new or different sort of capital base for some of these companies. So we might see others, not sure, but um, you know, but I think one of that that sort of geopolitical strategic shift has really created opportunity for a soft bank or opportunity for Tiger, uh, the big hedge fund out of the US, as well as other 
American corporations like Walmart, which have backed Flipkart with quite a minority stake and did a very large round. But if you look more recently in some of the deals this past week, these are big rounds for Indian startups historically point of view. But once you start to see the exits, whether it's a Flipkart or now 197, then that really validates the ecosystem. It's always been getting the big exits was hard in India, but now Chinese corporates have been pushed out. You know, I think we're seeing no shortage of capital coming through from different sources. So fascinating to see some of the sort of tensions on the inside or, or the boards on this regard. But um, congrats to 197 and BJ. So, you know, being a really good guy as well. Yeah, yeah. We do actually have, um, we have a few more uh, Indian companies that have listed as well, Zomato and, and MobiQuick, both in India as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been a good week for them. Yeah, it's the exits. It's always getting the big exits. We did a uh, a report, an infographic with the sort of um, CIA Confederation of Indian um, Institutions, like the big basically Indian businesses, and looking at corporate venture capital and that sort of geopolitical shift was fascinating to see. But you know, getting the big corporate or the big venture backed exits that was always a more challenge. Flipkart was more the exception than the rule, but. Now it feels like things are coming and it's coming on IPOs. So that's going to help the overall um, shareholder capital base in the local country. So it really does feel like it's a, a tipping point moment. Yeah, yeah, hopefully so. Well, we also had interesting crossover news again. We always do, I think. Um, US-based gene editing technology developer Prime Medicine emerged from stealth with 315 million of Series A and B funding to commercialise research conducted at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. The company raised $115 million in a Series A round backed by GV, Arch Venture Partners, New Path Partners and F-Prime Capital. Prime Medicine concurrently unveiled a $200 million Series B round featuring all of those Series A investors as well as Kasdan Capital, Comorin Asset Management, More Strategic Ventures PSP Investments, Red Mile Group, Samsara Biocapital, funds and accounts advised by T. Rowe Price and unnamed life science investment funds. The company is using gene editing technology to advance a number of drug discovery programs targeted at areas such as the liver, eye, ex vivo, hemo... I'm going to struggle. Hematopoid... God, how do you say that word? Hemato... Something with stem cells. (laughs) Poetic? Let's go with that. Stem cell and neuromuscular indications. That was a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is a, um, a fascinating sort of technology. It basically works like a word processor, but for DNA. The challenge with sort of what's called CRISPR-Cas9 was, you know, that's kind of like um, using scissors to kind of cut out a bit of the gene that you didn't want and maybe switch in another bit, but it's kind of fairly specialist. Whereas, you know, if you think about having a Word document, you can sort of take out whole paragraphs or paste in whole new ones and, you know, just delete the whole thing sort of thing. And that that's basically the promise behind Prime Editing is that it, uh, it kind of just is on a much bigger scale, much easier and without some of the issues that... CRISPR-Cas9, as revolutionary as it was, uh, can bring. And, you know, obviously Prime Editing was backed or founded by um, primarily David Liu and uh, Andrew Anzalone, um, you know, at sort of MIT and Harvard. And, um, you know, I think the fact that, um, you know, um, the fact that it's, you know, it, it has that potential 
you know, is and given sort of particularly Dr. Liu sort of, you know, was seen as one of the founders of CRISPR-Cas9. I think Professor Anzalone, you know, had the sort of broader vision behind this sort of word processor type of search in place, you know, concept. The two have worked together from MIT and Harvard and um, I think it's uh, it's it's fantastically promising um, just because, you know, we've seen what, say, messenger RNA is brought to thinking about viruses and being able to treat whether it's COVID or HIV or some of the other things under development, you know, but being able to take out genetic uh, dysfunctions, you know, um, you know, is just, uh, is, you know, is prev- you know, equally as revolutionary in some ways. It's a, it's a very exciting uh, opportunity. And so hence, no surprise, it's raised a huge amount uh, while in stealth from an amazing group of um, investors. I mean, people like Robert Nelson over at, you know, Arch, you know, there's probably not a lot he's not done over the past 30 years. Um, you know, F-Prime Capital, Google Ventures and, and others. These are these are powerful investors who really know healthcare um, and they're all in it on it. So very exciting. I suppose, uh, you know, what do you make of it? Uh, you know, Thierry, in, in, in terms of from a university perspective, it just shows the promise of what some of these treatments could be, could it? Well, yes, what what really caught my eyes, uh, as you mentioned, David Liu and, and Andrew Anzalone doing it again, basically. I don't know how many companies that is for, for them now. I know they did Editor's Medicine, they did Beam Therapeutics, they did Exotherapeutics. I think they did Pairwise Plants as well, which focuses on, on gene editing for agriculture. So... Yeah, there's there's a lot of, of broad institute spin outs that are due to this to this one pair, which is which is phenomenal. And that's I think what a lot of universities want. They want repeat entrepreneurs and, and serial entrepreneurs. Um and yeah, I, I'm not surprised that this is the consortium that they pull together. I mean even just Editors Medicine, phenomenally successful company. I'm sure they will do it again and, and I'm sure that's what the investors believe as well. So yeah. Definitely, it's very exciting. Well, so good selection of deals there. Big news. So, but what else is, uh, what have been the more news and briefs, Thierry? Well, we have UK-based financial services app developer Revolut, which secured $800 million in a Series E round that included SoftBank's Vision Fund 2. The corporate was joined by hedge fund management Tiger Global Management, and the funding was raised at a $33 billion valuation. China-based SmartCut technology manufacturer Banma Technologies has secured up to 3 billion yen, that's 465 million US dollars, in funding from investors including Alibaba and SAIC Motor. Yanfeng Capital and CMG SDIC Capital also contributed to the round, which followed a $233 million Series A in 2018, led by CMG SDIC and backed by Yanfeng Capital and Shang-Chi Capital a vehicle for SAIC Motors subsidiary SAIC Capital. Netscope, a US-based networking and security software provider backed by computing technology provider Dell, closed a $300 million round at a $7.5 billion post-money valuation. The round was led by investment firm Iconic Growth and also featured Sequoia Capital's Global Equities Unit alongside Lightspeed Venture Partners, Axel, Base Partners, Sapphire Ventures, geodesic capital and unnamed existing investors. And Ascension Ventures, the investment fund representing 13 healthcare providers in the US, contributed to a $260 million Series D round for US-based medical device developer Imperative Care. 
D1 Capital Partners led the round, which included Bain Capital's life sciences subsidiary, as well as Healthcore Investments, Innovators Capital Partners, Ally Bridge Group, Delos Capital, Rock Springs Capital and Ahmed Ventures. And Denmark-based challenge bank Luna secured $249 million in a Series D round co-led by Tencent, Heartland and Kinevik. Kirk Augustinus Fabrica, Fuel Ventures, Greyhound Capital, IDC Ventures, MW&L Capital Partners, Seed Capital, Soki Capital and private investor Peter Mühlmann filled out the participants in the round. Funds picked up one more for you here. Japan-based semiconductor manufacturer Rome launched a $5 billion yen, that's $45.4 million US dollars, corporate venture capital fund that will be overseen by its group chief technology officer. The vehicle will identify ideas and technologies with the potential to solve social issues and create growth opportunities for ROM over the next decade, including semiconductor materials, decarbonization technology and in-vehicle and industrial equipment related chip applications. ROM will also make limited partner commitments to other VC funds through the unit, which is slated to operate over a 10-year period. It had previously collaborated with universities and startups to develop semiconductor technologies. Exits? Well, starting with SES, a Singapore-based lithium metal battery developer spun out of MIT and backed by GM Applied Materials, SAIC Motor and SK Group, agreed to a reverse merger with Ivanhoe Capital Acquisition Corporation. The merged business will be valued at $3.6 billion in the transaction and will take up Ivanhoe Capital Acquisition Corporation's listing on the New York Stock Exchange, acquired through a $276 million initial public offering earlier this month. The deal will be supported by a $200 million private placement featuring car makers GM, Hyundai, Kia, Geely, SAIC Motor, as well as Foxconn, Cox Strategic Platforms and LG Technology Ventures. And as we mentioned earlier, Zomato, an India-based food delivery service backed by Ant Group, InfoEdge and Delivery Hero, is listed on the National Stock Exchange of India and the BSE in a dual listing. The offering valued the company at up to $8.6 billion. It intended to raise approximately $1.25 billion through the IPO, which involved it issuing about $1.2 billion in new shares. Classified listings operator InfoEdge is selling $50 million of shares. The offering was oversubscribed 55-fold as of the time of recording on Friday afternoon UK time. Bullish, a US-based digital asset services provider backed by blockchain software provider Block.1, has agreed a reverse merger with Far Peak Acquisition Corporation. The deal will give Bullish the listing on the New York Stock Exchange taken by Far Peak through a $550 million IPO in December last year. EFM Asset Management is anchoring a $300 million private investment in public equity deal supporting the transaction that includes funds and accounts managed by BlackRock, in addition to Cryptology Asset Group and Galaxy Digital, at a $9 billion pro forma equity valuation. And MobiQuick, an India-based online payment service that accounts Cisco, GMO, American Express, Bajaj Finance, MediaTek, NetOne and New Delhi Television among its investors, filed for a $255 million initial public offering on the Securities and Exchange Board of India. The offering will involve the company issuing approximately $201 million of new shares, while its existing backers will sell up to $54 million. 
Finally, US-based biologics delivery technology developer Rani Therapeutics has filed to raise up to $100 million in an IPO that would allow Alphabet, Gene Science, AstraZeneca, Shire, Novartis, Ping An, KPC and Stevenato to exit. Rani is developing a capsule called the Rani Pill, which would allow for biologics to be delivered orally to patients instead of through subcutaneous or IV injection. The IPO proceeds have been earmarked for R&D as well as the development, the advancement of Rani's product pipeline and growing its manufacturing capabilities. It will also pay back a $1.3 million paycheck protection program loan taken out in April 2020. And finally, comings and goings, we just have one for you this week. Sasha Mann has been appointed a senior partner at Takeda Ventures. Her LinkedIn profile describes Mann as being in stealth at the unit from June 2020 to February 2021. Mann had previously been a venture partner at healthcare-focused VC firm Zoic Capital from 2018 to 2020, and before that in Vintage's venture capital AVC firm formed with the support of packaged food producer Nestle, hired her as a principal in 2009 before promoting her to venture partner in 2016, and then Mann's departure the following year. Wonderful. Thanks, Thierry, and uh, enjoy the week, everyone, and uh, we'll catch everyone soon for the Digital Forum. We'll be having next week the GCV Powerlist Awards launch on the 21st, so hopefully catch everyone there. Speak soon. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review podcast. As always, these are only the top headlines from the past week, so do head on over to globalcorporateventuring.com, globaluniversityventuring.com, and globalimpactventuring.com to find everything else. And of course, do check back daily to stay on top of the news as it happens. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if this is your first time listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which we really appreciate because it helps us grow our audience. And don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues as well. Maybe even tweet out the episode or post about it on LinkedIn. Keep an eye out too on Wednesdays for our leadership series where we talk with thought leaders from all over the world to find out more about how they are supporting the innovation ecosystem. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at thales at globaluniversityventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. You can also tweet us at GCVenturing or G-U-Venturing. My name is Jerry Hillis. My co-host is Editor-in-Chief James Mawson. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. Do check him out on inearproduction.com for all your podcasting needs. Our intro music is by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. We'll be back with more news next Monday. Have a productive week, everyone. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.